Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Royal Alliance Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, and I don't have a co-host today. Uh, we weren't able to get an Arkansas person, and instead we decided to go out and just get a national college football person who has probably watched more college football this year than any other human on earth, our pal Matt Brown from The Athletic. Matt, what's going on, man? Not too much. I am currently watching bowl games, so I'm glad to be here, glad to be talking about college football. It is not meaningless, even if uh, half of Penn State is not going to play on Saturday. Well... That actually leads very nicely into just a little conversation I want to have because uh, it's been a conversation in kind of, I think, Penn State uh, circles, especially in the last couple of days for obvious reasons. And I think in college football more broadly, which is that opt-outs are rising all over the place. Penn State's a really good example of this. We've started to – we've seen it in a lot of other bowl games. I feel like this year – we're starting to cross a bit of a Rubicon with uh, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson of Ohio State sitting out the Rose Bowl, which always kind of felt to me like a third rail no one was going to touch. Uh, I, I'm interested in your thoughts on this, Matt, as someone who uh, watches the sport from the perspective from which you watch it. What, what are your thoughts on how we got here, why we're here, and just generally, you know, we always talk about is this good for the sport, is this bad for the sport? what you think this means for college football, its bowl structure, all those sorts of things. I'm like just very mixed about it. I like want to choose my words carefully because like, I don't, you know, I don't want to sound like anti-player or something with some of my feelings about it, but like, you know, I, I don't begrudge anybody for sitting out the Outback Bowl. Like, look, it's not my potential millions of dollars in the NFL draft on the line or anything like that. I do think like, just the way it's talked about, I, it, it just, I don't know. It's, it's like a trend was started with guys posting on social media, whether they're returning or not. And I feel like that's kind of just had this like domino effect where everybody feels like they have to announce that they have a decision to make, even if they're going to be like a seventh round pick. And it's, I don't know. It, it, it's in the way it's talked about. It's like, like bowl games are like some extra risk versus like the rest of their football career. Uh, so I think it's, kind of gone a little bit overboard um and you know just selfishly i'd like to see guys finish out their career you know finish you know it, it's i know it's again most of these games aren't actually that meaningful but they've never really been that meaningful so nothing's really changed but on the other end of it coaches opt out of bowl games all the time you know penn state doesn't have his defensive coordinator in this game and that's not to blame brent pry for taking the virginia tech head coaching job just kind of the reality of the business and I think players increasingly see it as a business too and are making what they think is the best decision for them. And so again, a lot of gray area in my feelings about it all. Like, again, I don't really begrudge anybody. I just, I do think it is a little tiresome, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I do think this year kind of accelerates it too, where if people just don't like, you look at the timing of this game and you know, another COVID surge. And I don't know when all of these decisions were made, but like if guys are just like done with it and don't want to subject themselves to this, I also don't blame them for that. So as a person who loves bowl games more than most people should, you know, I hate to see it, but I also, it's not like I'm going to criticize somebody for opting out of the game. It's just, I don't right. know. It, it, there, there's a there's an idea that my pal uh, Ryan Donnelly from the Flipping the Field podcast has that you move these bowl games to uh, to the very beginning of the year and kind of have them replace one of the uh, one of the non-conference games that I, you know I think can kind of uh, kind of annoy fans uh, uh, every uh, now and then. Uh, but to me, the I just think that this is kind of the logical endpoint of how, how many years we've been doing the playoffs since 2014. I think this is kind of the logical endpoint of the playoff era of college football. And what I mean by that, and this is something that I fall victim to, I'm sure everyone falls victim to uh, at one point or another. When we talk about college football and we talk about it from the lens of a Penn State, an Ohio State, a Clemson, an Alabama, these big schools, it is win a national cha- championship or bust. We talk about it in the facilities race. We talk about it once a week on television when they announce the playoff rankings, all these sorts of things. And I think with how we have made that the emphasis of this sport, a sport where that has never supposed to have been the emphasis, Matt, that's just kind of an end product of it. If you were making it so literally the only thing that matters are two, 
quote unquote matters in how we talk about college football, how it's covered, how it's perceived, those sorts of things. If you think the only two things that three things that matter are the two semifinal games, the national championship game, it's kind of hard in my eyes to besmirch a player for going, well, if the entire thing is about winning a national championship and we're not playing for a national championship, I don't want to be a part of this. But at the same time, I'm like you where I just think it would be cool to see guys playing in more football games. Like I can't, I can't say that uh, I think anyone is necessarily making a wrong decision. Like there, there are factors beyond Bill's enjoyment of football games that is that are far more important. But I, I, I'd like to see them play. If they're not going to play, they're not going to play. It's whatever. Uh, do you think that this is something that there is any sort of grand solution to anything that can or should be done about it? Or do you think this is kind of one of those things that, you know, barring adding, you know, 12 more teams, uh, 28 more teams, whatever, to the playoff, like we're just kind of have to kind of shrug our shoulders and start living with. I mean, the obvious things to point to are, one, expanding the playoff to even to 12 if you incorporate more of the, like all of the New Year's Six or whatever, however that would look. Like guys aren't going to opt out of playoff games, I don't think. Um, you know, I think like that would solve the, I think an easy one to look at was the Fiesta Bowl with Pitt and Michigan State. It's like, uh, or the sorry, the Peach Bowl. Um, you know, Kenny Pickett and Kenneth Walker aren't opting out of the game if it's a playoff game, which it could have been. Uh, both of those teams would have made a 12-team playoff. So you look at that, you look at, you know, I, I think the obvious thing is we bowls are so tied to cor- ridiculous corporate sponsors that, you know, in the era of NIL, like, hey, Duke's Mayo can probably pay whatever players. Well, it's a bad example because Sam Howell actually did play in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. But theoretically, maybe Duke's Mayo can pay an appearance fee to Sam Howell. Like, I don't who cares? Like if that happened, great. Let, let Sam Howell make his money for the Duke's Mayo Bowl and show up and play. If you add compensation, that's more than just everybody getting a PlayStation and a gift card to, you know, whatever, like maybe that could help convince some of the top guys to play. It's like, we've already crossed that bridge. So like, what would that hurt? So, you know, I don't know if that would, you know, convince everybody to not opt out, but it would be a start. You know, all these sponsors are paying a lot of money to the bowl games. What's an, what's another little bit to some of the players. So I think that's probably the only real solutions to, to trying to negate some of this. Um, Otherwise, it's yeah, it's what you talked about. I mean, uh, we're all you know in college football media guilty of overemphasizing the playoff, but I think uh, you know certain media partners of the playoff do it more than <laughs> more than others. Even though ESPN owns almost all of the bowl games, it, it certainly leans into overemphasis of the playoff because it's still what it's going to get the most. It, you know, pays for it um, and it costs a lot and. It's worth promoting it because it's its biggest product, but I, I think we all could do better about not making everything playoff or bust that mindset. So I don't know. There's a lot of factors that have added up to the bowl seeming to be more meaningless, even if the TV ratings don't reflect that. People are still watching them, even when guys opt out. So uh, I don't think there's a clear, clean cut solution, but I think there are a few things that could be done to to kind of stop this trend or, or, you know, stop it from getting out of control. And I do think a post COVID world would help too, if there's just not the concern yeah. about dealing with everything that's associated with playing football during a pandemic. Yeah. You make you make it more worth the player's time, either with the national championship aspect of it or with the, or like you said, the compensation aspect of it. But that's, there are people who make a lot more money than Matt and I, who are, uh, whose job is to figure this stuff out. Uh, Unfortunately, if there's one thing we know about college football is that they have no vested interest in trying to figure this stuff out. Neither here, and nobody's there. actually in charge either. So right, exactly. Uh, Mark Emmert says the commissioners are in charge. The commissioners say Mark Emmert. The they, he then says it's coaches, player, whatever. It's all very stupid. There's going to be a congressional investigation to coach salaries. Whatever. Who cares? Uh, let's move on to the, the reason that you're here, reason that I'm here, and a reason I think a lot of people are listening to this podcast, and that is to talk about what Penn State has going on this weekend. The Nittany Lions uh, on New Year's Day, uh, so make sure you take a couple of aspirin before this football game, are going to be participating in the Outback Bowl against the Arkansas Razorbacks, I believe, uh, for those with the extra vested interest in home. Uh, Penn State 
is the coconut shrimp and Arkansas is the uh, bloom and onion. Neither well, is everything I think about this game. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I mean, I, I'm not a particularly huge coconut fan. So um, if Arkansas would like to win this football game, I can get some food out of it that I would enjoy eating. But uh, again, neither here nor there. Razorbacks, eight and four in the season, number 21 uh, in the uh, most recent college football playoff ranking finished with an a four and four mark in the SEC West. Couple really ugly losses in there, but picked up a few impressive wins. And Matt, when I look at this Arkansas team, and I just think of the times I've seen them this year, I don't think that they're a team, especially because their best player, Traylon Burks, uh, wide receiver, going to be making a lot of money. Uh, in the draft next year is sitting out. I don't think they're a team that is like top three in the country in any one thing, but I think they might be one of the more just perfectly solid at everything teams in college football. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I mean, it's kind of an unusual combination when you look at Sam Pittman, the head coach is, you know, offensive line background, physical, you know, kind of doing what Brett Bielema wanted to do there. And, you know, the offensive coordinator is Kendall Bryles. And, you know, those Baylor teams did run the ball really well, but, you know, known for being wide open and taking big shots and stuff like that. You know, Arkansas isn't really built that way, especially with Traylon Burks out. Like he did all of their damage through the air. Uh, He had 66 catches for 1,100 yards. Nobody else in the team has more than 21 catches or 305 yards, or nobody else has more than two touchdowns. Uh, So, It'll be interesting to see what their offense looks like. They're kind of a three-headed monster at running back. K.J. Jefferson, the quarterback, also heavily involved in the running game. They have four players who have four, anywhere from 498 to 592 rushing yards. So it's kind of just a balanced attack between the quarterback and three running backs, Treyon Smith, Raheem Sanders, Dominic Johnson. Um, you know, Jefferson, inconsistent as a passer for sure. His numbers actually look pretty good. He's pretty efficient. 21 touchdowns, only three interceptions, 67% completion rate, 9.4 yards per attempt. But again, that's also with Traylon Burks, who's, you know, had a legitimate All-America case and a very crowded wide receiver field among All-Americans this year. So, you know, I would expect them to try to lean on the running game. And you'd think they could be kind of physical against Penn State just with, you know, the absences from Penn State's defensive front when you look at Derek Tangelo and P.J. Mustafer and Arnold Epichetti and Brandon Smith and Ellis Brooks. Uh, it's going to be a new look Penn State defensive front that isn't, you know, a run defense that was pretty pretty good most of the year outside of the Illinois game. Uh, it's just not going to look the same. So it's kind of a mystery what Arkansas does in the passing game without Burks. But we know it's also a mystery what Penn State's going to look like up front. And you think Arkansas can lean on that advantage that they have with the offensive line and with Jefferson's mobility. Yeah, I mean, as I look at this game, and I don't mean, I, you know, I don't mean this is a knock against anyone who's going to be playing for Penn State. I think uh, we've seen Kazai Izzard, we've seen Devon Ellis do some really nice things, Nick Harbour, and I think he's a solid defensive end. Their linebackers are going to be a bit light. Uh, Jesse Lucas. Yeah, when you're if, talking about bringing two players red shirts to play in yeah. a bowl game linebacker, that's not good. Yeah, I mean, I. I think every snap that Jesse Lukita takes at defensive end and not at linebacker um, is a mistake. And I, um, you know, I, this is not, you know, I, you know, I really appreciative of what Jesse Lukita did this year. I don't think he's a particularly great linebacker and he is a pretty good defensive end. Uh, I just think that's the situation Penn State is going to be in, yeah. in that position. There's more options at defensive end probably when you look at Tar Burton's played a lot. Smith Vilbert, you think Soraya Fisher will take on a bigger role? Mm-hmm. I don't want to say there's a lot more options because it gets thin really fast when you take away Epiketti, you know, uh, dealing with, um, you know, it's just they're not as deep there as they thought they were going to be in the first place this year. So it's, I don't know, it, it's going to be an interesting mix of players up front because, you know, it looks like Jonathan Sutherland might be starting a linebacker. He's a guy who's been basically a special teams ace back up most of his career. So. <laughs> Penn State picked a really good time to pick a team that's awesome at running the ball and has a gigantic offensive line. So let's let's start there. And a first-time play caller for them, too. And a first-time play caller, yes. 
Uh, Anthony Poindexter is going to be he has experience, but you know, first time yeah. play call Penn State here. It's another just another layer to it. Yeah, of course, Brent Pry is uh, going to be moving has already moved on uh, to Virginia Tech. In uh, a little added wrinkle uh, to all of this is that uh, Joe Warrig, the team's special teams coach, uh, kind of I believe the report said he was taking over linebacker duty for Pry while he was. Uh, while Pry was gone, while they were looking to find before Manny Diaz came in, well, Joel Lorig uh, got hired by Oregon. Uh, not yet, not yet. Or not yet, not yet. Uh, My okay. colleague Bruce Feldman at the Athletic reported that he is being targeted uh, for the I, Oregon staff. I so believe, not, nothing yet. I believe Adam Rittenberg uh, of ESPN reported uh, or confirmed it. So uh, I'm not sure what that situation will be, but uh, regardless, it looks like Penn State might be in a might be in a situation where. You know, last second before uh, the game happens, Joe Warg is going to be out. And, you know, maybe Anthony Poindexter takes on a little bit more, but uh, still counting to be for Penn State. Fortunately, not the uh, not the worst thing in the world. Let's start by looking at Arkansas's offense against Penn State's defense. Uh, and Matt, you laid it out, I think, really well when you went through all the numbers and you said KJ Jefferson is you know a nice passer, not like. You know, not a guy that's going to light the world on fire. If he has more than like 250 yards through the air against this Penn State defense, I will be shocked. That's also just playing into Penn State's strength with the secondary, what it wants to do, that sort of thing. I don't see a reason, and I'm interested in, and my assumption is you agree. I don't see a reason unless it's like a third and 25 because of holding penalties for Arkansas to ever throw the football in this game. Probably not. No. I mean, if it'd be one thing if Burks is playing and you're running the ball and then taking your shots, which right. is what they they did. Uh, but that's not the case. They don't have Burks. And, you know, I, you know, I really don't love Arkansas's chances of throwing the ball in this game just because they don't really have anybody proven at receiver. And I, I think you know, Penn State's still pretty solid, at least in the defensive backfield. So, yes, I mean, if you're Arkansas, you you. At least early in the game, like you're feeling out Penn state and what it actually has up front, which again might be plenty next year, but as of now it's very unproven. And yeah, you know, I think the Mustafer loss was, was big, uh, you know, just what he brought to kind of anchoring that defensive front. And then obviously, you know, Tangelo had a really nice season right next to him as an experienced player. So it's just, it's just amazing how thin it's gotten. And you look at, you know, Adisa Isaac was supposed to be a big contributor this year, probably a starter. Hakeem Beeman, we thought was going to be a starter. So it's just, you add all that up. You have an injury, you have the opt-outs, you have the guys who didn't even play this year who we thought would be playing. And it's like Penn State is half of its defensive line that it thought it might have, you know, in August. So yeah, it's, you'd think Arkansas, given what it has and Jefferson's running ability and the offensive line it has, it's just lean on that, and it's probably going to work. And if it doesn't, then they're in trouble. But that's clearly what you'd think mm-hmm. their game plan will be, is just lean on that, try to stay ahead of the chains, stay on schedule. You'd think they'd be able to do that just because it's just you know a matter of depth and what Penn State has right now versus Arkansas. Arkansas, again, doesn't have its best player in Traylon Burks, but it runs the ball more than it throws it. And... You know, I think it's last in the SEC in pass attempts already, and that's with Traylon Burks. Uh, you know, running game, it's second in rushing yards per game in the SEC. Runs it 44 times per game. So I don't see any reason Arkansas wouldn't run it more than 50 times in this one. Yeah. Unless it's somehow far behind, and I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, nor do I. And you look, uh, the only teams with fewer passing yards per game in the SEC to them, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Texas A&M. Uh, Vanderbilt is Vanderbilt. South Carolina had to start a grad assistant, a quarterback for a stretch, and Texas A&M was started by a thing called Zach Calzada, which beat Alabama, funny enough. Uh, you look at their offensive line, left to right, 6'6", 325, 6'5", 305, 6'4", 310, 6'5", 306, 8", 317. I mean, one thing that I really appreciate about this Arkansas team is that uh, there is no denying that they are built by an offensive line coach. Uh, Sam Pittman is going to want to get them up there, going to want to get them pushing Penn State around, uh, especially you know, like even if this Penn State defense had its full complement of dudes, that was going to be the plan. But then you look at three of their losses. I'm going to kind of throw the Ole Miss game out because that was just a weird football game. Alabama, they scored 35 points. Their top, uh, their top ball carrier in that football game was Traylon Smith, 
who ran the ball nine times for 42 yards. Against Georgia, they lost 37 to nothing. Their top ball carrier in that game, A.J. Green, six for 28. Auburn, they lost a 38-23 top ball carrier, K.J. Jefferson, 18 for 66. Two of those games when things weren't working for them. Georgia, just nothing worked for them. We could throw that out. Things no, don't that work. That game was ridiculous. Things, <laughs> things don't work against Georgia unless you were coached by Nick Saban and Kirby Smart like made a deal with the devil that he could just never beat Nick Saban. But Alabama, when things got weird for them, they threw the ball to Traylon Burks. Eight receptions, 179 yards, two touchdowns. Auburn, things got weird for them. Traylon Burks, nine, 109, and two. That's really the only – that's really the interesting thing here for me, Matt, because I think Penn State's going to have some – they're going to plan to stop Arkansas from running the football. I have reservations about whether or not they can do that for reasons that are pretty obvious we've all laid out. But if they can slow down this Arkansas offense a bit, Arkansas this season ranked 35th in offensive SP+. I think they can keep a lid on them pretty well because I just don't have any faith that unless plan A is working, they are not going to have much of anything else. And yeah, look, in Arkansas's offensive line, you rattled off their big, their experience. They are good. They're also not like infallible. Like, you know, they're 96th right. in tackles for loss allowed per game. So they give up negative plays. You know, they have, I don't, they're only all SEC player. Now, again, there's a lot of competition in the SEC among offensive linemen like Texas A&M, Alabama, Kentucky. There's a lot of Georgia. There's a lot of great offensive linemen in the SEC. Uh, Ricky Stromberg, the center for Arkansas, was the second team AP all SEC. I believe is the only all SEC pick from that offensive line. So it's not like they're loaded with you know superstars and infallible here. Uh, but it's just, you know, what we've talked about is the matchup and the circumstances for Penn State, where if Penn State had – Ebiketti and Mustafer and Tangelo, you'd like the chances a lot better because Ebiketti's, you know, I think one of the most disruptive players in the country. Mustafer, I think, had become one of the best run stuffers in the country, defensive tackle, and they don't have that. So it's, you know, who steps up? Because if they do step up and can actually slow down the running game, then yeah, I think we're it's a slugfest and Penn State is a good shot. But, you know, it's just. I like Arkansas's personnel on the offensive line better than I do Penn State's on the defensive front right now, for sure. But again, maybe Penn State can load up uh, and and slow them down just because they don't have that vertical threat they've had in Burks. And you know, I think Jefferson can still be forced into mistakes without Burks out there. So that that's the wild card is just what you know can they overcome not having that the guy who can stretch the defense and make circus catches and you know do things that you know. Penn State saw from Jahan Dotson with the offense is, is what kind of what Traylon Burks would do for Arkansas, too. Yeah, and uh, I think the Illinois game is an interesting potential comparison here because it was pretty obvious that Illinois had no interest in throwing the ball. They just wanted to run, run, run. And Penn State, didn't, Penn State didn't seem like they wanted to sell out against that, weirdly enough. So I'm, I'm interested in seeing if that was uh, a personnel thing, a schematic thing, a Brent Pry thing, whatever that might end up being. Uh, just, just to mention it, uh, their top Arkansas's top two receivers, Beyonce Lundberg's Tyson Morris, 21, 305, two touchdowns, Warren Thomas, 18, 292, and two. Uh, let's move to the other side of the football. Arkansas's defense against Penn State's offense, Arkansas 41st in defensive SP plus. Um, so there's a bit of an issue here, Matt. And the issue is that Arkansas's passing defense in terms of yards allowed Fine, fifth in the SEC in yards allowed per game. Their quote-unquote weakness is their rushing defense, where they are, uh, let's see, they're four teams worse in terms of rushing yards allowed per game. Um, here's the thing. I've watched this Penn State team. Um, I think that this Arkansas will let you run. I believe they have three down linemen and three linebackers. There's going to be some space to run. I also just don't think Penn State is like has the facilities to do that. Yeah, and Arkansas's other opt out is on the defensive front. Uh, Trey Williams, a defensive line, defensive end, is also out of the game. Uh, he has six and a half tackles for loss, twenty eight tackles this year. But yes, as you said. I mean, what, what have we seen from Penn State that it can run? It, it's kind of shocking the way it played out this year because we think everybody kind of agreed coming into the year that running back, at least depth-wise, should be a position of strength. 
and it just hasn't been at all. And it's, you know, been that tough question to ask is how much of this is on the running backs? How much of it is on the offensive line? I think, it, I mean, it's clearly both the fact that they've been this bad in the running game. Uh, I don't think the running backs have been decisive enough. I don't think they've, you know, vision is a question. I think, you know, Kevon Lee sometimes has trouble bouncing it and things like that, but the offensive line's also been a problem. And, you know, Rashid Walker seems like he's banged up, probably not going to play. Um, so, or isn't going to play. So, <sighs> I don't know. The offensive line is a disappointment. The running game is a disappointment in general. The running backs have been a disappointment. So, you know, is it a get well game? I have my doubts about that. You know, I, I think Arkansas's defense is not anything special. They're kind of middle of the road in a lot. You know, they did give up a lot to Missouri at 250 rushing, Georgia at 273, Mississippi at 324, but Penn State running, Penn State's running game just isn't that. This it's it's been a, a again a huge disappointment. So I don't know. Again, we're we're talking about the same thing in that Penn State doesn't have its go-to receiver who is often, you know, often bailed the offense out in Jahan Dotson. It's, you know, okay, they can't consistently move the ball, so just throw it up to Jahan and he'll probably do something. That's not going to be a, a part of this game. So, yeah. Kind of a mystery of what the Penn State offense looks like, uh, you know, not that Penn State doesn't have options at receiver Parker Washington was so like sixth of the Big 10 in receiving kind of really quietly or in catches, I believe. But I don't know if Penn State can't run the ball. It's just, it's hard to see them winning this game. You feel like Arkansas could kind of overpower them, stay on the field a lot. Not that time of possession matters in 2021, but I think it could matter in a game like this where they can wear down a thin Penn State defense. Whereas Penn State has some of those three and out drives where it like throws an incompletion on first down, runs up in the, the middle on second and 10 for one yard, Ugh. throws an incompletion on third down. We've seen that, I think, 400 times. Like, I don't know if the numbers back me up, but I feel like that happened. Like, no, I feel like Penn State leads the nation in runs for zero yards on second and 10. And that's been the case since, like, Joe Moore had left. Like, so, I don't know. So, I think that's potentially problematic in a game like this where Arkansas, you know, the things we've talked about on the other side could potentially – control the game physically against a Penn State team that has not been physical enough on the offensive line and doesn't have the personnel to hold up physically on defense just because of the opt-outs and injuries. Yeah, and Arkansas's back seven, uh, their their top seven tacklers are all guys in their back seven. The top three are their uh, starting linebackers, Bumper Poole, great name, Grant Morgan, uh, and Hayden Henry, uh, and then their defensive backfield of uh, Joe Fauci, Monteric Brown, Jalen Catalan and Miles Slusher. Uh, you did mention the big opt-out is uh, defensive lineman Trey Williams, who uh, was their top uh, sack man, top tackle for loss man. So at least Penn State's going to have that going for them. But it does sound like, uh, for all intents and purposes, Penn State's going to be breaking in a new offensive lineman in this game, Olu Fashanu, uh, a guy who, uh, 6'6", 313, redshirt freshman, looks like he might end up playing uh, – tackle in this game i believe james franklin had some quote about how they yeah. wanted to give him some run uh but he ended up getting hurt they had to put landon tangwall in accidentally found out that their best fret lineman was a true freshman neither here nor there uh i i i'm interested though because they're so decent at everything i'm not going to say great i'm not going to say bad I, I think they're decent at everything that's a good i way think to that's fair it. that's fair and if they're decent at everything you look at Penn State, and the one thing that I think Penn State can do is when they get away from that James Franklin insistence that you have to have balance in your offense, they can punish you down the field in the passing game. They have two good tight ends. I'll say two and a half good tight ends because Tyler Warren is you know, a little bit of everything, but in Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson, they have two tight ends who can make plays down the field. And Parker Washington, like you mentioned, can make plays down the field. Keandre Lambert Smith, when he's cooking, he can do some things in the passing game. And they sound very optimistic about what they think they can get out of Malik Mega, who is very tall and runs a four, three, whatever else that can be to me. I, you know, I'd like to see them run the ball a little, just because I want to see that Penn State can run the ball. I think that is a problem you try to solve next year. I think that's a problem you tried, you, you started working on with these 15 games. You 
focus on it in spring ball. You focus on it in summer camp. For me, I just want to see Sean Clifford, especially because he's coming back next year and I want to see him use this as a springboard to a really good next season. I just want to see him throw the ball 50 times. Like uh, Nothing else. I want to see Sean Clifford have a game where he can look back on that all summer and go, I have that. That's the last thing I did on the football field. I can do this in the 2020, a 2022 season where his coming back just inherently raises expectations for Penn State. I think that's fair because, you know, as much as I think the answer could be, you know, yet you like more than anything, you'd love to see the running game have a breakout game, which is like, is that realistic? Yes. Probably not. <laughs> like, is it, I, I don't know. Are they going to suddenly come out and rush for 250 yards? I don't think they're going to. Uh, again, I think they do have talent at a running back. And, you know, I think they have do have talent on the offensive line. But are, are they really going to, like, lean into that and have it succeed in this game after 15 more practices? I, I doubt that. Uh, you know, if it's being me, I think they should just run the T formation the entire game. I you know, don't disagree. 100% successful in touchdowns, by the way, this year. However, <laughs> I do like what you said about the tight ends. Like, Brenton Strange and Theo Johnson felt kind of underutilized at times this year. And if you, like, add them up, you know, they had 38 catches between them, which isn't a bad year for, like, one, you know, starting tight end. And you kind of, you know, I guess you could kind of look at it that way. They kind of add up to one starting tight end. But it did feel a little underutilized where they're clearly talented guys. Theo Johnson, I, I think, just has kind of sky-high potential with just his skill set. Um, and... I don't want to say it's good that they don't have Jahan Dotson in this game because that would be a ridiculous thing to say. He's the best player on the team, and you'd love to see him have one more game. But, you know, it does force Penn State to get a little bit more creative in what it does on offense because, again, it doesn't have that bailout option of just throwing up to Jahan. So, you know, maybe it's getting doing some more creative things with the tight ends. You know, again, I think Parker Washington was – honestly a little bit underrated this year, just where he stacks up statistically in the big 10. Um, so I don't know. I, you mentioned Malik mega too. Is, okay. He's, he's been mentioned a lot. Is, is this a guy who can kind of show signs of what's to come next year? So yeah, I think I agree with you. I don't think they're going to win this game by running the ball 40 times. Like it's just, right. it's just not what this team has been this year. And I don't think you can just completely change who you are from December bowl practices. Like the offensive line isn't going to suddenly click and be dominant. Um, I think they could be better running the ball this game. Sure. But I, I, I think with, you know, the, agree with kind of Clifford coming back, it's maybe you can build some confidence for that receiving core without uh, Dotson. And cause they, they do have intriguing options. Uh, you know, they've, they've recruited some nice pieces here. You know, Kendra Lambert Smith has, has, flashed Parker Washington's very good the tight they have tight end so I would I would agree with you where I think they probably have a better chance if they can consistently air it out and and get Clifford going in this one yeah I mean I I can absolutely see a scenario where they go we literally have not had a 100 yard rusher this season we we want to try again have that be the thing you build on going forward but like I'm realistically like, yeah <laughs> real happen <laughs> but at the same time like i look at this running back room and i don't think anyone in it is the guy you build around next year i think nick singleton is going i, I mean saquon barkley is the best running back i've seen at penn state and like it took him a couple of games to get a hold in the position and penn state started the season next year is insane blah 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 i think that nobody in this room is as important to kind of get them something they can head into this offseason with a little momentum with is more important than Sean Clifford. Sean Clifford and then anyone in the passing game. So, you know, I gun to my head, I think they're going to try and run it. I think they're going to try and find that balance. I mean, when what what game was it where uh, I think Audrey asked uh it might've been Audrey, it might've been someone else in the beat where they basically asked James Franklin about, uh, Oh, it was Michigan state James with the season over. Uh, do you wish you found like a step you, you lean on the pass a little bit more and Franklin basically said the season's not over. We have to find balance, blah, blah, blah. So it was something to that extent. Yes. Yes. So well, like, yeah, that was the Michigan state game was just such a weird game. It's like they only ran the ball 26 times, but they like, it was like the third quarter or whatever. They got away from passing it. And again, it wasn't the snow, but it was like, that was what was working in that game. And right. They just got stag- 
and it, and it was just odd. Um, so Michigan State doesn't believe in pass defense. Like, just conceptually, they don't think it's something you need to have in like in your locker. It is why Pitt is going to beat them with a backup quarterback who's going to throw for 450 yards. Neither here nor there. Uh, one last question on this game before we go into predictions for it. Matt, what do you think is more important? Do you think it's more important for Penn State to win this, or do you think it's more important to just, like, have a good vibes game, have a game where, you know, you're sending Jesse Lukita off, but otherwise it seems like everyone playing in this game is going to be coming back. Jesse Lukita and then I think maybe Eric Wilson. Everyone else is going to be coming back next season. Is it more important to win this game, or is it more important to just establish, all right, here's a good data point that we had from this game. Basically treat this game as the start of the preseason rather than the offseason for this year. I think it's still important to win the game. I mean, obviously there's uh, that sounds like a stupid thing to say, but like when you look at the fact that they're 7-5 and five right now and they were 4-5 and five last year and James Franklin got a 10-year contract extension during this, it's just like I think you need that. Eight and five looks a lot better than seven and six. And right. especially with the way the season kind of unraveled, I, you know, they were never as good as the ranking was. They, you know, they were never, they were never really the fourth best team in the country this year, but they're also should have been better than the record. You know, that's why they, they're not favored anymore after all the opt-outs, but they had like opened as a favorite in this game. You know, I, I think like advanced stats, uh, computer rankings have liked Penn State better than its record this year. So they're a team that has underachieved relative to what it is now. Um, so you look at, they've lost five of their last seven games. They, you know, started 0-5 last year. Uh, if they lose this game, they're what? That puts them at 500 over the last two seasons. It's just, again, I think with the way it's gone, you know, and the kind of criticism of the Franklin deal, which say whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. The deal's done. He's going to be here for a while. Um, it, it would be very, very helpful <laughs> to go into the off season and say, okay, Sean Clifford's coming back. And, you know, whatever you think about that, if they can come back, having it happen with a win against a ranked team from the SEC, it just all feels a lot better. And I think, you know, the, the question you asked, it does kind of go hand in hand. I, I think it's going to be hard to kind of have any kind of, good vibes from a loss, even if they get some young guys, some good run. So yeah, you, it, it is in that, in some respects, kind of like a blue white game and that you're looking for the next big thing that the young guy who flashes, whatever you're looking for anything positive to build on, but you're still going there to win this game and try to salvage something from a disappointing season, even if half the roster isn't there and it doesn't actually mean anything. It, yeah. People I, are going to overreact to the result. But if they're going to overreact to the result, you'd rather have it with a win. <laughs> right. It, it, like, my, my you know, I, I had this point explain, said to me by uh, our pal Sam Cooper of Yahoo Sports earlier this year. He and I were talking about the quarterback situation. He said, uh, you know, if Clifford doesn't come back, Penn State's, you know, they're a team that is ripe for someone to get, you know, go get someone to the portal. And I said, listen, I want Drew Auer. I want him getting those chops. And he said something that, like, I forget sometimes, I think other fans can forget sometimes, which is that college football, no team in college football is going to do the process like the Philadelphia 76ers did. Like, you're going to go out there, especially when you're a school like Penn State, and you ha- basically have to try to win every single football game yes. that you play in. <laughs> uh, you're not, you can't go out there and just say, like, you know, after a quarter, Arkansas is up 10 nothing. All right, Christian Vey, you get in there. We want to see a little bit more of what we have with you. And, uh, Unless you want your and, coach fired, yeah. there's no benefit to losing ever. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, like, if you're, you know, we're not going to see Harrison Wallace just to see Harrison Wallace. If we're seeing Harrison Wallace, it's because they want to see him. We're not going to see uh, Jaden Reed at safety because they want to see – because, like, why not? We're seeing Jaden Reed at safety because they want to see him play safety. So it's it's all those sorts of things. I think that – like you mentioned, they go hand in hand. If Sean Clifford throws for 350 yards, four touchdowns and no picks in a game that Penn State loses 35-28, I don't think he's going to feel particularly great. But if he does that, if he throws for half those yards, half those touchdowns and one more interception in a game that Penn State wins 28-20, to he's going to be pretty happy with things. 
all things considered. So let's get to picks. Uh, Penn State, uh, 12th in SP+, plus, 14th in FPI. Arkansas, 36th in FP+, plus, 27th in FPI. Uh, total in this game is 48 and a half, 48, 48 and a half. You can get it at a couple of different things. Penn state, uh, opened as a four and a half point favorite, but because of opt outs, because and I think it has started moving even before some of the opt outs, obviously it's gotten to be a little bit more intense. Arkansas is now a two and a half point favorite here. Uh, FPI has Penn state 60, 40 to win. Uh, Matt, I think that just because of the sheer, for everything we just said, just for the sheer number of opt-outs at positions where you need to have guys against this Arkansas team. Like we didn't even mention Jaquan, Jaquan Brisker, who like can be right, an yeah. extra line, who can <laughs> like be an extra line. Second or third line. best player in the team. Like <laughs> Right. Like I just think Penn State's defense is going to need a bunch of guys to play the game of their life to win this game. Um, I don't think it's going to be a fun football game. I don't think it's going to be a high-scoring football game. No. But I think it's going to be an Ar- a football game that Arkansas wins. What are you thinking? What do you think about that two and a half? What do you think about that forty-eight? Yeah, I. I mean, I'm gonna go right. I think Vegas is just kind of on it. Like, I think Arkansas probably wins by. Like, I, I easily see this. Well, I'm backtracking now because it's like any no bowl result would like surprise me at this point. Like mm-hmm. underdogs keep winning bowl games or, or had been winning bowl games at a high rate. And it's just, it is unpredictable when you look at Arkansas's best player opted out, Penn state's three best players opted out. Uh, so I don't know <laughs> is my one answer. Like any, nothing would actually surprise me. I, I guess Penn state blowing out Arkansas would surprise me. Arkansas winning by 20 wouldn't, wouldn't really surprise me just because, yeah. you know, what we've talked about, if, if they just took control of the game physically and Penn Clifford, you know, threw a couple interceptions, like, you know, a, a 34 to 14 game is not, wouldn't be shocking. Like it, it, things could just unravel that way. When you look at Penn State's lack of depth or experience depth on defense right now, the lack of a running game, a lot of things could easily go wrong based on the opt-outs and just the things that we've seen go wrong in the second half of the season. Uh, I tend to think it's going to be a little closer. I do think Penn State can move the ball through the air. You'd think, you know, Sean Clifford was having a pretty solid season the first half of the year before he got hurt against Iowa. And, you know, even without Dotson, we've talked about the options that they have. I do think they will be able to throw the ball a little bit. So you add that up. Um, I, I think Arkansas is going to win the game, but I think both teams end up in the 20s and it'll end up being something you know 27 20 27 24 i guess to give an actual prediction i'll settle on arkansas 27 penn state 23 i'll go arkansas 28 17 uh i i'm i'm just a little you know it's a styles make fights thing and i think that penn state's not particularly suited for this fight. But like you mentioned, anything other than Penn state winning this game, 49 to 10, like I, yeah. I would not be particularly shocked by, uh, the funny thing is like that the first three bowl games on new year's day, uh, just are going to be really gross. Uh, so, uh, if, if you, if you want to skip this game and then watch Penn the state, Arkansas is the highest total of those three games. 48, 45 in Oklahoma State, Notre Dame, 44, Iowa, and Kentucky. So please, please, if if you have a long night the night before and you want to watch aesthetically pleasing football, just just chill and wait for uh, Utah to beat the hell out of Ohio State a little bit later. Back uh, in my day, the Outback Bowl used to kick off at 11 a.m. I remember doing <laughs> Penn State, Tennessee, Outback Bowl at 11, and I think they should bring that back. What, what, what was the score of that game? Do you have that off the top of your head? 20 to 10, I believe. Wouldn't surprise would would not surprise me. Like I I, I don't think they're holding Arkansas to ten wouldn't surprise me. Uh, Matt, while I have you here, last name I'm going to put you on the spot: Cincinnati, Alabama in the Cotton Bowl, Georgia, Michigan in the Orange Bowl. Who you got in both of those? Why you got them, and then who you picking in the national title game? I think I'm. Oh, I think I was on the record on the AP podcast like a month ago saying Alabama and Michigan would win these games. I don't have honestly. I'm not 100 percent confident in either of those picks. Mm-hmm. I, I think Cincinnati's defense could give Alabama some trouble. And uh, I, I don't know. I think Alabama will win. Um, but the other one, it's 
obviously kind of a toss up. I, I may, I like, I, I think I might be picking Michigan just like selfishly, like rooting for something a little bit different. We just saw Alabama play Georgia. Uh, I don't really need to see it again, even if it probably would be a better game than the first time. But I do worry that Georgia's just a bad matchup for Michigan and that, yeah, I don't know, Alabama could, could, could test Georgia deep with Jameis Williams, with Bryce Young. Michigan doesn't have that. You know, they have a better offensive line than, than Alabama does. Um, but I don't know. So I think, but I'm sticking with Michigan. I, I, I'll go with their defensive ends forcing, you know, people think Stetson Bennett is just like this, like gritty guy who doesn't make mistakes. It's not really, <laughs> like, no, he's just, he just doesn't true. get, like the offensive line doesn't let him get in trouble when he gets in trouble. He makes think, mistakes. You know, when you look at Hutchinson, you look at a like Michigan has a really good defense that could give Georgia a problem. So right. I'm going to go with, you know, Georgia makes the costly mistake and Michigan wins the game because of that. Uh, so I'll go with Michigan and Alabama in the national title game, which, you know what? I'm picking Michigan to win the national title. Wow. This is honestly, not even a good Alabama team by Alabama standards. Like they have the Heisman winner and Jamison Williams is awesome. And Will Anderson's the best player in the country, but this isn't a great Alabama team. Like it's just kind of the product of this season. And they've kind of been like, I guess if Alabama was any other team, you'd like look at them and say, Oh my God, look, you know, they're gritty and they pull out all these wins and all that Alabama just has a different standard. So they're still obviously really, really good. Like they're like fourth in yards per play and their defense is still good. It's just they're not as good as they're they're not last year's Alabama team. They're not they're not as good as some of the teams that lost national championships like 2016 did, you know. Yeah. But so whatever. Maybe I'm just trying to be different. Michigan over Alabama is my pick. It's probably going to backfire, but whatever. None of this matters. Uh, so here's the thing. Um, one, I wanted Alabama, Georgia in the semis because I just wanted something different in the national title game. Yeah. I'm looking Georgia seven and a half. That listen, I I am on the record is saying I think the team to go up by two scores in that game first wins because yes. you go up by two scores, you make the other team's quarterback throw the football and like Stetson Bennett isn't good and Cade McNamara is fine, but I just don't trust them their passing game against this Georgia defense. I like I, I I'm I'm I think I have Georgia in that game and then listen this you you're you want something different so you pick Michigan. Go Bearcats. <laughs> Listen, I it could happen. I, I love Sauce Gardner. Mm-hmm. I love their cornerbacks. Their defense is good. I, uh, well, I, I the thing is like <laughs> the thing is like if you if you can put a lid on Jameson Williams, I think you can really like you can yeah, really put a lid. That big, you know, yeah. Alabama lost. You know, they're not as deep at receivers. They've been. John Mechie is who's you know kind of their more of their possession guy is out so mm-hmm. yeah they, they, Alabama doesn't run it's like this is like the worst Alabama rushing offense in years and, and that's the and other thing like we have clear target at receiver right now so we have some recency bias too but Alabama's offensive line was not good this year and they then they just played they just played with their heads on fire against Georgia we the other day Houston uh, against Auburn in their bowl game. Houston stuffed Auburn into a locker just a month after Auburn gave Alabama fits and Alabama barely survived that. And Cincinnati kicked the hell out of Houston. So like, it's going to be an uphill climb. They're going to need Desmond Ritter to do some magic. They're going to need Jerome Ford to have a good game running the football, but Cincinnati in these big games, they always seem to have a quarter quarter and a half, two quarters, where they just find something and just lay a whooping on teams. And I think they have that in them here. I, I'm going to pick them because I just want to see it. Like, I, it would be so cool. It, it would, And it would be really important, like, with just kind of the way the wins are going in college football and all the fields yes. of the NIL era over, like, there are going to be three teams, four teams that are able to do anything. Like, Cincinnati beating Alabama, then I, you know, I'll pick Georgia to win the national title because I do think, I do legitimately think Georgia's the best team in the country and at, like Kirby Smart is just like legally required to lose to Nick Saban. But I, it, I want it to be fun. I want to see something a little bit different. So Cincinnati, Georgia, Georgia wins, whatever, who cares? Uh, Matt, thanks for doing the pod, brother. Tell, uh, tell the people where they can find you. 
You can find me on Twitter at MacBrownCFB, and you can find me at The Athletic. I am an editor, but I also still also write some ridiculous historical stuff. So what, uh, what check out the, all of our bull stories from last week. What were the 600,000 words worth of stuff that you put out in the last couple of weeks? Uh, because they, they were all very good. One was, what, the top 50 bowl games, was it? We did, So we did a package called Tales from Bowl Season, kind of leaning into bowl nostalgia going into the holiday. I did three of those 16 stories. I ranked the 50 best bowl games. I could have ranked the 500 best because that's just <laughs> what I am. But it was Christmas week. Had to, you know, cut it off a little bit. Did the 25 best performances by players in bowl games. And I did uh, the first bowl game or the first Rose Bowl, the 1902 Michigan route of Stanford, which led to no more Rose Bowls for another uh, 14 years. And anyway, kind of a crazy story behind that. But check that out. Uh, yes. Penn State is heavily featured in the – 50 best bowl games article some wins some losses but heavily featured is because penn state has played a lot of kind of crazy bowl games over the years and uh one thing worth mentioning if you read the best performances bowl games matt and i had this conversation he said micah parsons in the cotton bowl almost made it but ultimately uh just missed out uh real good i the entire 25 was tough to cut it to (laughs) right exactly Uh, one one of these days uh the athletic will matt let matt really get loose and just rank like the 1,000 best players in college football history, and he will struggle to get that list down from five. This is just someday I will rank every college football game ever. And it's, you know, that, Ooh. That's it. what, 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 what's the, the last thing I'm letting you say? What is last? Oh, well, I wrote. So speaking of the athletic, I did write the article <laughs> in October on the worst college football game of all time. Oh, I know this. Yes. Centenary zero, Texas Tech zero, 1939. There were 77 punts and 33 offensive plays. So uh, best game ever, also the worst game ever. Listen, what if that isn't the best way to end this podcast, I don't know what it is. Thank you uh, one more time to Matt Brown for being on this edition of the pod. Thank you to everyone for listening. As always, make sure you're subscribing wherever you go and get your podcast. If you use Apple Podcasts, please go and leave us a five-star review. Keep reading and supporting the site. Best way to do that is to buy some t-shirts. Make sure you're following us on all of our various social media channels. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.